We all want happy, healthy families, and that quest for good health begins at birth. Sadly, many of our nation's infants have a much more difficult journey reaching their first birthday than other infants. African-American babies, for instance, are as much as two and a half times less likely to reach their first birthday than Caucasian babies. This disturbing disparity has given rise to a national forum, a forum wherein healthcare professionals, birth workers, policymakers, and family planning experts share information and ideas to combat the scourge of black infant mortality and maternal morbidity. Welcome to the GAP podcast series. Welcome to the GAP podcast series. Today, we are in for an incredible treat. We have with us in studio today, Dr. Kyra Brown, Assistant Professor of Public Health at the University of Texas, Arlington. And it is my honor to have you in studio today, Dr. Brown. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. One of the things that, that we've seen is that it appears that if preterm births and low birth weight babies could be dealt with and those outcomes could be altered, that would have a direct and profound impact on black infant mortality if we could deal with the issue of preterm births. Mm -hmm. So if, is that a, is that a correct statement just from your, your perspective that I just made? Yeah, um, one of the things that we see is preterm birth, low birth weight. Um, I know for Tarrant County in particular, so there's this, it's called perinatal periods of risk. Um, and it's, it's a way of, it's supposed to be kind of a community um, informed kind of analytic process of trying to determine what are the major contributors to excess infant mortality. Um, and so one of the things that we see with black women is, is there's these different categories and one is maternal slash prematurity, right? So the premature, um, preterm birth piece, um, but also maternal health factors that contribute to this over excess of um, infant deaths. So yes and. So is it, is it correct then or is it accurate to is it accurate for is it accurate for us to say that if we could reduce the amount the number of preterm births that there would be there would be a positive difference in terms of of the number of black infants that actually make it to their first mm -hmm. birthday mhm mm yeah i think that's a reasonable line of thinking yeah okay and especially if it's like very preterm birth, like you know, before severe. 30, like there's 30 weeks to cut off, or mm -hmm. or what's what actually would would you say is the cutoff for for what would be considered a preterm birth? Oh yeah, before 37. Before weeks. 37 weeks. But then there's like um, kind of gradients within that, so it may be preterm birth, and then it's moderate, and then there's very preterm birth, which is very 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 early but less than 37 weeks. Okay. Well, the, one of the factors that, that, that our research has, has, has 
that our research has helped shape this particular narrative is that is that this the reality, this concept of weathering is is a factor that is a concept that that is linked to preterm births. And I know that you've done a significant amount of work on the concept of weathering, and I was wondering if you could maybe just speak to really the definition of weathering and just and just provide kind of the 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 background to weathering's impact on on black infant mortality and maternal health. So um, in the early 90s, there was a researcher by the name of Arlene Geronimus, and she's the one who's um, um, recognized for coining the term weathering, which was meant to represent this idea, this notion that black women's health, or and in general, black people's health, um, uh, deteriorates over time due to um, chronic exposure to, in that case, socioeconomic disadvantage um, or generally stress. And that stress um, as it relates to systemic racism, interpersonal racism, the stressors of um, economic disadvantage. And um, I know that that particular hypothesis has been kind of advanced over the years. Um, and, and the measurement of that has looked at kind of these other biomarkers, um, one called allostatic load, um, or looking at um, telomere length in, in terms of measuring kind of um, uh, biological data. Um, and, and we've seen that with not only black women in comparison to white women, um, but black people in general compared to, you know, general white populations. And so that work has really built up um, over the last 20 or so years with not only, you know, thinking about this from a hypothesis standpoint, but actually um, matching kind of this biological data um, to show that, yes, there's this sort of deterioration, if you will, this weathering um, on reproductive potential and health kind of status in general. But one of the things, you know, that you see is that there's certain protective factors, right? So um, some of the early, like, mid-2000s work was looking at um, neighborhood and economic trajectories. So uh, women who were born in low SES neighborhoods who experienced upward mobility into maybe upper um, income neighborhoods versus those who stayed in lower income. Um, you saw a protective effect there um, in terms of those black women who stayed in the lower socioeconomic kind of life trajectory um, experienced those worst outcomes than those women who experienced that upward trajectory. But um, even still when compared to white women, those upper trajectory black women still had slightly worse birth outcomes. So it's still kind of nuanced, um, kind of these effects that we're seeing um, and trying to really understand, you know, what are those key protective factors from a life course perspective, right? We know that those nine months of pregnancy is not enough to change, you know, a lifetime's worth of 
whatever you're exposed to. And so you really have to think about kind of the whole woman across her, her lifespan, and even the lifespan of her mother, um, which kind of gets into those intergenerational effects. We've often said that, that in America, oftentimes your zip code has more impact on your health than your genetic code. Mm-hmm. And it appears that with infant mortality and maternal health, that your zip code can have great impact over whether your baby makes it to the first birthday or not, mm-hmm. as to where you, where you are. Now, I say yes, but it's also a little nuanced. Okay, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm in the nuance, so yeah, yeah cor- correct me. Cause. Um, well, I agree, I agree, that is definitely the case. Um, but, you know, especially with the DFW area in certain areas being gentrified, and so we find that populations are moving around. And so um, sometimes that makes it hard, and I'm kind of speaking, I guess, from a data standpoint, um, and even from kind of an intervention standpoint, it makes it hard because, you know, the the demographic of that zip code um, may change in like three years, like rapidly or two years. Right. And so it, it makes that measure a little, I mean, it's, it's still useful because, mm. yeah, zip code does matter. But when we see kind of displacement in urban areas, it makes it a little tough. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. That that nuanced point is is significant. What about rural areas? I mean, what do you what what happens to you know to moms that 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 are twenty five thirty miles away from a, a clinic or live in a rural food desert or have transportation issues how, how do you begin to how do you begin to address those kinds of u- unique matters that influence pregnancy outcomes yeah, yeah that's that's a tough one um you know especially when you think about women in rural communities Having to drive such a distance, we see, you know, these higher incidences of other, like, accidents while pregnant, so car accidents. And, you know, because you're driving such a long distance, that increases, you know, your chances. And and so that's one of the things, actually, a colleague of mine at, in the um, College of Nursing, um, she's focused on rural health, and we're looking at um, rural hospital closures and, um maternal morbidity and mortality and trying to see that relationship there as well as trying to see um, you know what are other ways of thinking about how to address this right Um, because there's so many factors that contribute to why a hospital might close um, and therefore then negatively impact those in those communities, especially pregnant women and so how do we start thinking about new models of care that um, maybe you're less traditional, right? And I think that's where a lot of times, you know, a lot of my colleagues joke, you know, you tend to be your most creative when you ain't got no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's worked well in the past in terms of making do with kind of what we have. And so I think that a lot of it, 
a lot of it rests on um, our ability to kind of come together and figure out um, these creative, unconventional ways of meeting the care needs of of our population, in this case, women, pregnant women in rural communities. So just like in the field of mental health, you know, you have the telemedicine, um, um, you know, birth workers. I know you were just talking about the... Um, the midwife um, who you talked with, and you know, what are these models of care that historically black people have been doing, right, uh, for years? Um, it's just over time, um, you know, that's kind of gone away. Um, and so I always like to think of Sankofa, go back and get it, right? We've been creating these models of care that have worked well for us. Um, and so I think a lot of times it's about going back to that and, and kind of re-embracing that creativity on what can we do to, um, you know, address these needs. Does that make sense? It does. The, the concept of, of identifying what, what worked in the past and then, you know, bringing that idea bringing that theme forward and then infusing it with you know the, the with either technology or some of the other things that are that are available now that weren't available then but you know but the idea of bringing of bringing what works forward and looking for a way to to re-inject that in a community I mean abs- absolutely we're about to go to break you're listening to the gap podcast series today's episode is featuring dr. Kyra Brown from University of Texas, Arlington, Department of Public Health. This is Nakia Lawson, and in today's segment of Let's Doula This on the GAP podcast series, we're going to talk about preterm birth. According to the Mayo Clinic, the definition of being born preterm is a baby that is born before 37 weeks of gestation. It is important to understand the reasons for preterm birth vary from person to person, based on the situation with the baby's health and wellness, based on the birthing person's health and wellness, any predispositions to health disparities, there are different factors that lead to preterm delivery. However, according to the March of Dimes, babies that come too soon are babies that come too small. And these are truly risk factors that lead to infant mortality. So we want to make sure that families are aware that 40 weeks is optimal fetal gestation. And for that reason, we want to spend time understanding how doulas can impact the birth experience, how hiring the right professional to be a part of the journey, whether it be a midwife or an OBGYN who understands the desires of the birthing family, can make sure that we can limit those risk factors that lead to preterm birth. And we know, in the doula spirit, doulas make a difference. This is Nakia Lawson with Let's Doula This on the Gap Podcast Series. Welcome back to the Gap Podcast Series. We're in studio today with the extraordinary Dr. Kyra Brown, Assistant Professor of Public Health at the University of Texas in Arlington. So we have a, we have a saying around here and... That saying is, you must first conquer the land beneath your feet. What can we do from your perspective in the North Texas area 
to begin to move this dialogue forward, first to create awareness, understanding, interest, and then move towards solutions? What can we be doing to to begin to conquer the land beneath our feet? Yeah. Well, I think we were talking earlier about this medium and this type of medium for educating and empowering and engaging, and I think that's an excellent medium for doing so. Um, but I think also is knowing what the left hand is doing, what the right hand knowing what the left hand is doing. There's so many of us in the DFW area, and I still don't know everybody who's, you know, engaged, especially when it comes to, you know, the black birth worker community. It's such a vast community. Um, and so we have to know what each other are doing so that we can collaborate and not, um, you know, expend resource where we don't have to we could conserve that and maybe use that resource in another space because maybe we've been able to partner with another entity who is able to provide that resource if you will so i think it's definitely going to start with knowing who's doing what and collaborating um and having that common agenda i really think that's why black mamas matter alliance has been so successful they are very clear about what the mission is um, about what the goal is, what the action steps are. And I think in the North Texas area, if we can find that same, again, using models that work, right? Um, that's a model that's always worked. Black Panther Party, like, it's always worked. We have to be on kind of a common agenda um, of what we're going to do about this collectively. Yeah, that's, um, that is, um that's a true statement. I have to I have to agree with you. I was I was working on a um, on a, a, a graduate uh, degree in theology, and uh, and we were studying about the evolution of of Christianity, and for the first really three hundred or so years after after uh, the after Christ's resurrection. And what struck me is that there were many groups competing for dominance as to who's really going to own Christianity. And Roman Catholicism, one of the reasons Roman Catholicism emerged as the dominant group is that they were just better organizers. To this day. They were just they were just better and they you know they had this this simple approach of we have a a simple credo can be that can be often repeated and we have a a written down canon of this is what we believe and with a credo and a canon and their ability to organize they captured christianity for you know, for, for till today, because I mean, like, what, 70, 75% of people around the world who identify as Christians are Roman Catholic. So, I mean, they, they won the battle of who's going to dominate, you know, dominate Christianity. So with, under, your, under the heading of you got to figure out what works, I mean, organize, have a credo, canon, going back to what you said about Black Mamas Matter, the alliance. Is it Black Mamas Matter Alliance? Is mm -hmm. that the nomenclature? Yes. A simple and straightforward mission that they don't deviate from. Yeah. 
and just organize. Mm -hmm. So a couple more questions and then I'll get you out. Uh, are there specific things that, and I, I ask this to every, every guest, by the way, are there specific things that black men can do to have a positive impact on maternal health and black infant mortality? What can the brothers do? So um, I had four things. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got relaxed. I had four things. Um, one was definitely being, um, you know, supportive and, um, you know, before, during, and after pregnancy, right? Um, so being that strong kind of support system, we know research tells us the impacts of that, not only on the mom, not only on the father, but also the baby. Um, so I'd say that's definitely a key piece. Um, oftentimes, uh, fathers, the men, partners, um, can sometimes be neglected within the healthcare system. There's this, you know, heavy emphasis on the mom. And so um, sometimes that maybe reinforces beliefs about, oh, well, I'm not really important, you know, to this process um, because I'm not really included. There's no, I was just reading an article earlier today, you know, there's not many pamphlets, information pamphlets with dads on, you know, it's all, you know, focused on women. And so um, just kind of remembering the value that, um, you know, that you play in that process. But I think also, um, I think the, the second piece uh, that I was trying to remember was keeping yourselves healthy. So, um, men's preconception health, meaning men's health before they conceive a child with someone, um, that that's one of the best things that you can do to contribute to uh, birth outcomes because what we're starting to see in some of the literature, um, which is still pretty understudied about the, the health impacts of uh, men on birth outcomes, but we know, um, for example, obesity, um, and men that can have an influence on sperm counts, um, which can just ultimately impact the ability to conceive. Um, but we also know obesity can contribute to birth defects um, in moms. We don't know what that looks like in men, um, but it's not inconceivable to think that men's you know health impacts um, that child and development, um, even early development in terms. I think there was a recent study about men's um, nutritional diet and weight, there was a link between those two things and early brain development and birth weight. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's something um, that's, I think is really important is making sure um, that you're healthy, right? Um, taking care of yourself and making sure that you're healthy. Um, that's my last. I've never heard this before. I, I'm I'm just I, I I'm, I'm blown away by by what you're by what you're saying, and this is the first time I've ever heard. It. And I can assure you, this is going to be the first time anybody who listened to this podcast has heard what you what you say. Because normally, you know, we get and obviously, you know, be supportive, you know, be positive, mm -hmm. be present. We get those things, 
which are all valid, but no one has ever said there's a there's a biometric com- component to this. I mean that's I mean that's virgin. T- that's new ground that we're that we're talking. But it's and and just listen to you talk. Um, listen to you describe that point. You know our, our latest television series that was on the air this summer was about. It was about Texans battling and and beating cancer. It was called Journey of Hope. Powerful series. We're very, very proud of it. And we filmed filmed an interview with um, a medical oncologist, uh, breast cancer medical oncologist, and a black woman, actually. Brilliant. Brilliant. And she was... She was talking about breast cancer in black women. And she said, and she's obviously talking about, about mammograms and the importance of getting them. And she said, a lot of black women believe, it's a myth, that if my mother didn't have breast cancer, there's no way I can get it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I get a lot of women, black women that come, you know, and they present with triple negative breast cancer. And I'm like, well, what do you mean I have triple negative breast cancer? Because my mother didn't have breast mm-hmm. cancer. I mean, it's not possible. And she went on to say that that in the, her studies and her research indicates that that number one, you you need to understand your your broader family history as it relates to yeah. cancer. And what she was saying that a lot of the women that she has seen that end up with breast cancer, the the person in the family that had it was on the dad's side of the family. And and she was and the whole point of her discussion was as black women, you know, y- you guys need to be getting together with your aunts and cousins and everybody and saying, "Okay, now who do you know in the family that has some kind of cancer and making some sort of a mind map or tree or something like that so that you can understand it, so you can confront those issues mm-hmm. with immediacy and clarity and unemo- and unemotionally, which kind of got me thinking about what you said that okay healthy unhealthy male has an impact on birth defects literally I never heard that yeah and what if that male was born low birth weight you know Um, I think even just this conversation is making me also kind of think about you know there is reproductive life planning this process of thinking about when, how, you know, you want to conceive, if you don't, um, thinking about your family history, but a lot of that tends to be heavily targeted towards. Moms. Right. Um, And so I'm sure that there's some work uh, looking at reproductive life planning with males. I don't see much of it, um, but I'm sure there's something out there, but even when you talk about your health histories, right, and um, for men, being able to complete those health histories, what was the health history of your your dad or your mom, Um, because that may have implications on your offspring, Um, and, you know, so, yeah, I haven't come across any research, at least a lot anyway, on the, even that part of the the health histories of the male partners and you know the, the offspring and so it's it's pretty um, interesting. 
I just want to give you the floor and just you know, give the opportunity to just say whatever you want to say about this topic. Yeah. Well, I think um, I don't have much to say other than within you know, the context of black maternal and infant health. Um, one, I think it's, it's great that you all are doing this work. Um, I'm just an advocate for um, black-led um, work. I feel, I feel very strongly about being particularly a black researcher um, just because, you know, a lot of times I'm in spaces where Sometimes it feels like, you know, others may, I don't know, not to say that there's not a care for the issues, um, because many colleagues um, that I've worked with who have not been black certainly care about it. Um, but there's been other spaces where it's, it's almost like, I think about like, um, for lack of a better word, but you know how you have the same idea of um, poverty porn, right? Um, and seeing kind of and seeing you know these desperate outcomes and oh whoa gloom, you know um, these look at these disparities, you know, and, and really making a career and a living off of um, you know these persistent racial disparities. Um, to where the work ends there, simply stating the disparity versus using that work to catalyze, um, you know, changes and action and giving that work back to the community um, so that they're aware of what's happening and can, you know, work can be informed from that. And so I just care very deeply about that. And I know that's one of the things that sometimes keeps me up at night is, you know, um, the spaces that particularly black researchers can find themselves in um, and the importance of finding community with other um, black folk who are doing the work and live the work. Because I, I go home to this, right? I don't get to not go home to this. Um, and I feel like it's a certain level of stake that you have and that adds meaning to the work that's being done. Um, and so I think with this being shared to anybody, you know, it's easy to feel like an imposter or to feel like you don't have the expertise to talk about, you know, something. Um, but I'd say, especially to those families who are most impacted, is that your lived experience makes you the expert. Um, it makes you the expert to speak about these things. It makes you the expert to sit at these tables, to create your own tables, whatever it takes. Um, and so I think that's just maybe one of the last things that I wanted to share is that, you know, just that empowerment to continue to do the work despite whatever else is going on in the periphery. So. Well, that's great. I, I am deeply, we are deeply indebted to you for your time this evening and, and just the, the breadth of knowledge and fresh insight that you've offered to our, our audience is, um, is stunning, really. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening. The Gap Podcast Series is produced by Limeville Entertainment in association with Sagasse Media Group. Also, be sure to visit us online at 365plusone.org. That's 365plusone.org.